Hey, this is Annie. And Samantha. And welcome to Stuff I Never Told You, a production of iHeartRadio. Samantha, <laughs> did you have a favorite toy growing up or one that comes to mind that was really important in your childhood? Yeah, so I actually still have it today. It's my blue teddy bear oh. named Blooper because I have no <laughs> imagination. I like it. (laughs) And I loved it because it was reminiscent of a toy that was sent to me by my adoptive parents when I was in the orphanage in Korea. Mm -hmm. And before I traveled to the U.S., someone stole it. And so I wasn't able to bring it back with me. But Mm -hmm. uh, when I was here, someone gifted me a similar doll that was blue. So the one they sent me was yellow. Mm -hmm. I did not have a name for that. (laughs) <laughs> but then came here. And, and so that became the one toy that I actually really, really liked. Mm-hmm. And I will say, I didn't have a lot of toys and I was mm-hmm. forced myself to like dolls and teddy bears like that. I tried to really get into that because that's what children are supposed to do. But yeah, this is one of the ones that, that is most sentimental to me. Yeah. I had something kind of similar as a really important stuffed animal because of it's when I went away to college and I started traveling a lot and I wasn't home that much. My dad gave me this little bear that said someone uh, in Dahlonega loves you. And it got destroyed uh, by one of our dogs. And it happened to coincide with when my dad and I's relationship really fell apart. And I was like really vindictive about it. And now it just makes me sad. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. But I was really into... I loved My Little Ponies, which I know I've talked about here before, and I still have them. And there's, I have some guilt about that because it's not like I play with them anymore, but I, I'm just like, I love them so much. Right, right. <laughs> but I also... I love Star Wars, but it was assumed that I was a girl and I didn't want Star Wars toys. And so my brothers got all the Star Wars toys and I slowly stole them from them. Nice. And I'll admit it openly. <laughs> especially Return of the Jedi because it it became uncool to like Return of the Jedi once you reached a certain age. And so I was able to steal those Return of the Jedi toys and I still have the Battle of Endor. Oh, I would reenact it. It was so epic. So oh, you're reenacting it now. So I know. That's pretty, I the walkers. Pretty fantastic. <laughs> the logs. <laughs> That's pretty fantastic. Not that I approve of stealing, but I approve of the fact that, yeah, you know what? If they're not going to give it to you, you might as well take it. Don't do that, though. Don't do that. playing with it. I think this is normal sibling rivalry. I'm sure they would have sold. And plus, my brother played this really mean prank once where he put this voice recorder on my doll. And it said, like, I was sleeping with it at night. And it said something like, I'm going to murder you in your sleep. So I think it was fair play. (laughs) There you go, then. Okay, That's, that's a whole new level. Anyway, the reason I'm bringing this up is because we have talked a lot about Star Wars on this show. And we've mentioned this past episode that I did with Bridget several, several times about the feminism in Star Wars. And one of the things we talk about a lot in this episode is costuming, but also toys, the importance of toys. And when the first movie of the new sequel trilogy came out, The Force Awakens, I mean, Rey was the main character. Mm-hmm. There were several other characters I would say are very close, but she was like the character. And you couldn't get toys made of her. It was ridiculous. And in fact, people would call toy stores and they'd be like, why don't you have this Ray doll? And they'd be like, we have a lot of Kylo Ren. And everyone was like, we don't want Kylo Ren. Get out of here with your Kylo Ren. Get, get out of here. 
<laughs> but that is important. And that is a conversation that's still ongoing of like all of these toys kind of trying to be more inclusive with what they offer mm-hmm. and be more equal with what they offer. So ongoing conversation for sure. But for now, please enjoy this classic episode. I'm Annie. And I'm Bridget. And this is Stuff Mom Never Told You. And today is May 4th, otherwise known as Star Wars Day. (laughs) May the 4th be with you, Bridget. May the 4th be with you as well, Annie. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Um, As you might have guessed... From other past episodes, especially action figures, I'm a bit of a nerd, a dweeb, a dork, a geek. I'm a very big Star Wars fan. You seem to like all things science fiction <laughs> yes. and fantasy. Yes, this is true. <laughs> I I even, like, I write science fiction, which is, I hear, very rare for, like, joy writing. I don't know, because mm-hmm. I never intend to publish anything. Um Luke Skywalker was my first fictional crush. Aww. Yes, this four-year-old Annie looking at the screen, and I gave him a kiss on the cheek. <sighs> Why were you so drawn to Star Wars so early? It's funny because I actually didn't like Star Wars at first because I didn't buy the Force. As a young kid, I was like, no. <laughs> but um, everyone in my family liked it, and I did have a crush on Luke Skywalker, even if I had my problems with the Force. <laughs> I think it was just kind of a thing where it kept getting watched in my house and slowly but surely I got over my my issues and fell in love with all the characters. And for a while I was watching all of the original trilogy every, at least once a year, and I wore out the tape. The VHS. So like when you watch it, there's like parts are fuzzy because yes. you've watched it so many times, you've rewound it. Yes, and specifically certain parts that I would like this one section I would watch over. over what section again. was that? It was the end of a new hope, the big battle with the Death Star. Oh. Yeah, yeah. I liked a good space battle, I guess. <laughs> So here in the studio, y'all can't see, but in classic Annie style, she came dressed to impressed. She, you do this, only I get to see I it, know. and it's amazing. She's wearing her Star Wars shirt, The Empire Strikes Back, and space leggings. Yeah. They've got, like, the ga- like, galaxies on them. Yeah, it's cooler than it sounds, everybody. <laughs> the Empire Strikes Back is my favorite. It is not the most feminist Star Wars movie, because we are talking about feminism in Star Wars today. We are. Yes. When Bridget, she sent me an email, I was like, can you come up with an angle on Star Wars and feminism? And I had like two seconds later, <laughs> I've got a million ideas. <laughs> well, this is actually probably a good time to confess something, which is I just from knowing you personally, I know you love Star Wars, but I... <gasps> I've never seen Star Wars. I haven't seen any of them. Not a single Not a single one. Actually, when I was, that's not true. I was on a plane to LA uh, two weeks ago, and the movie they were playing was Star Wars, but I didn't have headphones. So I watched part of it. I was very confused. It seemed like a good movie. Like, I wish I had gotten the headphones. (laughs) (laughs) Which one was it? Do you know? Um, It was the, oh God, it was the one I hate. I almost said something that I, I feel like people would, Try to get me fired you. if I said it. Uh, it. The one with the girl, the most recent one. 
Well, the most of the recent ones have ladies in them. The one with Ray. She's in more than one. Okay, then I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. We we forgive you, Bridget. Well, this is why I think this episode is good because in my experience, people either love Star Wars and yeah. they have they they have a encyclopedic knowledge of it and what it means and it means it it means something very personal to them or they have a super casual relationship with it or haven't seen it. So this isn't this is a good maybe balance. representing that balance a little bit. <gasps> the balance of the force. Oh, oh my gosh. I get that reference. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and speaking of um I've tasked Bridget with making sure that I don't go too deep into Star Wars nerdery where no one can understand what I'm saying. <laughs> I'm sure it's going to be fine. I I hope so. I hope so. Um and I used to be a much bigger, or not bigger, but I was a, maybe a more obsessed fan. I was I, I would read all the books, and I had the comics, and I had the video games, and now I kind of just see the movies and enjoy them. So I'm not the same level of encyclopedic knowledge that I once was, but for a period, woo. Well, I almost feel a little bit jealous of people who are into Star Wars because... There's there's so much lore. There's so many ways mm-hmm. to be into it. And so, you know, if you like other kinds of films, you know, let's say that you really like Richard Linklater films or something. <laughs> yeah. There's not like you can't get action figures and sure. memorabilia and do fan fiction. There's there's so much to the universe, I guess, and that being being fans of other kinds of film does not lend itself easily to that kind to being able to dive in into this like very vast, rich universe. And that's something I've always really liked about Star Wars, even though I'm not, you know, a big fan myself, that it allows for that kind of expansion of of, of fandom, that you can be a fan and, and express that through writing, and there's a community for that. Express that through cosplay, there's a community yeah. for that. Like, whatever way that that interest manifests for you, there's a community out there doing that, which is quite interesting, and not a lot of things are like that. Yeah, it's cool that you can enter kind of at various points and or from various angles, like say you like costuming and then you get into Star Wars that way. It's it's interesting that there's just all of these sorts of fans co-mingling. Well, that's actually, the, the if I had to say the way that I appreciate Star Wars, it's 100% through Carrie Fisher because I'm a huge oh, Carrie Fisher fan. Yeah. But I, I know her more as like a writer and humorist. And so I'm a huge fan of saucy, sassy ladies. And yeah. she is a saucy, sassy lady. And so even though my connection with her is is not through that particular film series. Mm-hmm. I, I I definitely think like that like that is my thread for appreciating the genre. You know she was in Scream Three. She was in Scream Three. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad. You uh, I know I have, you can't get me out of Carrie Fisher. What was she in? Excellent. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> I was thinking that like well, back to our horror movie episode. Carrie Fisher. It all comes back. Yeah. Why didn't we talk? We should have talked about her. Well, we had other things to discuss. Yeah. yeah. We'll do we'll we'll, we'll get, we have to do a whole episode on her. Yes. And one day we need to do an episode on something that you're a total fan for. Oh, there's so many things. Excellent. Excellent. But today we're looking at Star Wars and feminism in Star Wars because there are so many angles to look at it, but I thought we'd do kind of an overview of where we are because right now we're in prime Star Wars time. Like, there's a new movie coming out every year, and it is changing a lot as the audience kind of expects that and demands that, and as times have changed. So, there is a lot to talk about. 
Um, if we look at when Star Wars first came out, it had what I think is typically has been the classic trio of two white men and one white lady. So you have Han Solo, Luke Skywalker, Princess Leia, who is, of course, a princess. But I would say she was still a pretty strong character. She was a rebel. She was a fighter. Later, she was a general. Um, and there is that element of damsel in distress, the whole help me Obi-Wan Kenobi, you're my only hope. Um, the whole slave bikini thing and Return of the Jedi, which was totally to make her more palatable to the male gaze. Ugh. Yeah. And she, like, kills Jabba the Hutt with her With that chain, chain. of her. And she kind of became a bit of a, a like a resistance icon for a yeah, little bit. Like she that, did. That is like a, people use that as a kind of feminist expression of rage, you know, killing killing your captor with the chains that he that he locked you up with. Which yeah. Is so, which is rad. Like, that's rad as it is, it is. Um, yeah, and I, she was a feminist icon for the time, and I would say pretty progressive for the time, which was around uh, 1977. And because of that, she did ruffle some some feathers. A uh, review of A New Hope, which was the first one, the fourth one, it gets very confusing, but the first one to come out. Um, critic John Simon wrote that, Princess Leia was played wretchedly by Carrie Fisher, who is not even appealing as Princess Leia Organa, parentheses, inorganic lay. What? This is the review. Like, a That's, critic oh wrote this God. review. That's absurd. <laughs> I know. Who is this critic? I want to I look, look him up and see if he's still in the biz. And if, if so, I'm going to send note. him an angry letter. Like, 30 years later. <laughs> Bridget Justice. <laughs> Hey, revenge is a dish best served cold. This is true. Not I, from Star Wars, from Star Trek. Boom. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, you nailed it, Bridget. Thank you. I'm yes. very proud of that. Yes. I have, like, very loose ideas for a revenge bakery that I want to open. Um, so maybe we'll he'll be one of our first customers. Okay, we definitely need to table and come return to the concept of a revenge bakery. <laughs> yes. Uh, I would love to talk about that more in depth. But um, speaking of Carrie Fisher... And our love for Carrie Fisher. Um, one of my favorite facts about her is that a friend, a friend of hers, screenwriter Heather Robinson, had to fight off a predatory Hollywood producer. And Fisher delivered to him by hand a Tiffany box containing a cow tongue inside with the added touch of a threatening note just to really get the message home. And according to Robinson, the note read, If you ever touch my darling Heather or any other woman again, the next delivery will be something of yours in a much smaller box. Damn. Right? This, see, this is why I love her. Like, even if that's, first of all, it, that works on two levels. One, if that story is true, wow. Two, if that story is not true, just imagine the lore that has to surround you for that to be the rumor about you. <laughs> and for it to be believable. Yes, yes. <laughs> the fact that we don't know if it's true or not just shows what a badass she was. Yes. People are like, I, I can see her doing that. I totally can <laughs> see her doing that. <laughs> Um, both the original trilogy and the prequels had a strong female character, but ones that straddled being badass with being that damsel, damsel that needs rescuing, empowered and objectified at the same time. And in a way, it reflects where we were with women as a society and feminism at the time. Uh, the prequels' main character, Padme, got the unfortunate ranking of four out of five worst Hollywood attempts at feminism as judged by Cracked.com. The unfortunate thing with her storyline is she was strong and then 
she just kind of became a whole plot point of she had to die and she just died a broken heart. Like she existed only to further this story of the male character. See, that just reminds me of so many times in movies that are trying to be progressive and so they add a female character or a gay character, but that character is not allowed to sort of exist the way the other characters exist. They have to die a tragic death or they have to, you know, love someone who doesn't love them back and get their heart broken and kill themselves, right? Like, they're not allowed to exist as these characters we want them to be. They have to be sort of tragic or something bad has to happen. That does kind of strike me as a weak attempt at feminism. Yeah, it was unfortunate. And it's one of those things where it's like the Titanic. We all knew she was going to die. <laughs> she That's because it was prequels. Right. Oh, so you already know. Yeah. Okay. It just wasn't handled in the best way, perhaps. Man, I, I, I would love to get a look at that writer's room because I, I would be willing to bet that that kind of stab at making a feminist you know, plot line for a female character was handled by male writers. Oh, and that, like, yeah. that's why it was kind of narrow or fell flat and like yeah. why she didn't strike you as an authentic, you know, multidimensional character. Yeah. There's also a, a really embarrassing scene from the second one, Attack of the Clones, where she's like in a pit and she's fighting and she's tough. But she's wearing this like, it's almost a crop top, but just got a back to it. But then the beast like that she's fighting slashes the back of it. So it becomes a full on crop top. And it's like, oh. isn't that what you would wear if you were in a, in a, in a <laughs> yeah. in hand-to-hand combat? You're like, I need my crop top. <laughs> That's what I wear for combat. My, my, my tactical crop top. You're right. Who among us doesn't have a tactical crop top? <laughs> I mean, I'm basically wearing one right now. <laughs> You're ready for battle any minute. So I, kinda... I, got a, I got a street fight planned later. That's so why oh, I'm wearing okay, this. Okay. Yeah, we were, we were going to meet in the parking lot and fight some other <laughs> podcast crew. Uh, yeah, we have beef with another podcast. Uh, we'll drop some hints to who it is. Yeah, yeah. But we're meeting them in the parking lot later. <laughs> anyway, back to Star Wars feminism. If we skip ahead to the first of the Star Wars sequel trilogy, 2015's The Force Awakens, and the announcement that one of the main characters was Rey... A lady! Oh, my goodness. A disturbance in the force. I remember the inevitable, oh, no, the dark side, a.k.a. feminism, has ruined Star Wars. Um, It's two PC comments, which is kind of funny because she was still the only female in the main cast. Like, women are taking over, and by taking over, I mean they've added, like, one. Right. I mean, Princess (laughs) Leia was one. I mean, I I don't know. So the, the ratio isn't, that doesn't even throw off the ratio that you mentioned before. Right. She's just... She was, like, the main one. Right. I guess Princess Leia was kind of, if you had to list them in a, of importance, in, the, in an order of importance, she would be at the bottom. Got it. But Rey was at the top, we think. I mean, this was all speculation. We weren't sure. But, yeah, I remember this pretty clearly. Um, and the good thing about Rey is she, she pretty much ditched that damsel in distress thing. She can handle herself. She told Han Solo so, Um, but she's not uh, that one-dimensional, strong female character that annoys the hell out of me either. Um, She protects BB-8, so she's got that kind of, like, nurturing, protective side. She's goofy. She makes mistakes. She's a survivor. And the fact that some people might doubt her abilities, possibly because of her gender, is poked at throughout the movie when um, male character Finn rushes to her aid. She's being attacked early in the movie. He finds she's already taken care of her would-be assailants, 
And later, when he takes her hand as they're running away from their pursuers, she snaps, I know how to run without you holding my hand. Uh, So they're kind of always sort of bringing it up. Um, And she's, as a character, she's had to learn to survive on her own alongside aliens, droids, men, women, all of them struggling together. And she's not making a feminist statement or representing a movement. She's just doing what she has to do, and that's the point. She's a woman who's doing these things, but... It's kind of secondary. Right. And so they don't make a big deal about the fact that, you know, a woman is doing. So like in 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 films, I hate it when they beat you over the head with the fact that this is a like when it's supposed to be a, quote, strong female character to the point where it's very aware that it's a strong female character. It's hard to explain. But when it's. Yeah. When it keeps drawing attention to it, it's like so you're saying. Oh, because she's a woman, this is astounding that she's able to do this. Right, exactly. Which, exactly. I, that I, that just always, it almost makes me cringe. Yeah. So I'm happy that this was just an authentically, you know, I am capable and I have many, you know, I have many sides to myself. I can be goofy and I can make mistakes and I can be, you know, nurturing and I can be badass and I can take care of the bad guy. And I can do all those things because women can do all those things. And it's not a big deal because women are you know, multifaceted humans, right. just like everyone else. What? I know. Oh my god! <laughs> we've really, we've really stumbled upon something here. <laughs> um, yeah, and she basically she was a character. I feel like if you can just write a good character, then they should it should work for male or female. That's my opinion. Uh, her look was important too because there was no slave bikinis here. And in fact, I believe Carrie Fisher told the actress who plays her plays Ray Daisy Ridley keep fighting against that slave bikini. Um, She wore a very Luke Skywalker-y tunic. Uh, No discernible makeup, though I'm sure it was that no makeup, makeup look. Um, Hair tightly pulled back, almost like her gender was secondary, and that's the point. It didn't define her, it was her. In the words of the actress who played her, she doesn't have to be one thing to embody a woman in a film. It just so happens she's a woman, but she transcends gender. She's going to speak to men and women. I love that. That actually underscores a point that I love making about gender is that good representations of gender in media is good for everyone, not just women, not just men, but everyone. Like, like men can benefit from seeing multifaceted strong women on screen. In the episode that I did on Black Panther, we talked to Jenna Wortham about this um, from the podcast Still Processing, and she made this great point that I hadn't considered, which is that when men see strong characters who are women who are multifaceted on screen, it actually helps them in their lives because then they're like, oh, this is a representation of how men work on teams with women or how, you know, women can show up in my life and I should respect them. It's not just for women. It's to speak to everybody. It's good for everybody. Yeah. Good representation, good characters benefits all of us. Well, we have so much more Star Wars and feminism to talk about. But first, a quick break for a word from our sponsor. back. Thank you, sponsor. One of the big arguments I remember seeing about Rey when it when she first debuted um, was that she was a Mary Sue. Um, and if you're not familiar with that terminology, one, you've clearly never read fan fiction. And two, here's, here's the general definition, but it's difficult to pin down. Uh, a fictional female character who is perfect in every way, usually usually an idealized wish fulfillment of the author. 
Can you give us some examples of other Mary Sues? <laughs> my mind immediately went to, I've written some fan fiction in my day. <laughs> yes, it's from this book, this unpublished <laughs> manuscript by myself. <laughs> yes, forthcoming. Don't you worry. I wrote a Star Wars fan fiction that had a Mary Sue, and her name was Tara Polaris. And that is a sign of a Mary Sue right there is when they have a weird, like, oh, name. Oh, like Ariadne. Like some, yeah. some, we- some like, oh, this, this girl's complicated. Yeah. <laughs> What's <laughs> her <laughs> mysterious past? <laughs> her name is hella hard to pronounce. Yes. We've got a Mary Sue on our hands. <laughs> um, well, l- let's look at the definition a bit more. She's got uh, mad skills. She's hilarious. She's wicked smart. Everyone wants to date her, probably. Um, depending on what circle you're in, this de- definition can vary wildly, because what is perfect anyway? It is usually reserved for fan fiction, but it has expanded to more pop culture. For another nerd reference, I have heard um, Lily Potter from Harry Potter referred mm. to as a Mary Sue. Yeah. Well, I've also heard that um, the main character from the Fifty Shades of Grey movies, she's a bit of a Mary Sue because she, like, she, if you've ever seen, I don't know if you've seen those movies, but she is super talented, like she excels at her job in this way that doesn't make any sense, where it's like, oh, you went from an, an intern to running this company, what? Yeah. And everybody wants to date her, like, she's always fending off the, the you know, affections of people who all want to be in her world, and, right. you know, must be nice, but, <laughs> you know. Not a problem, we have. <laughs> no, <not me. laughs> Fun fact, probably all of you know this, but uh, Fifty Shades of Grey is based on a Twilight fan fiction. I did know that, because yes. of you. I- I'm all about fan fiction. I really want to do an episode on fan fiction. One day, one day. Um, the term Mary Sue traces back to A Trekkie's Tale, a Star Trek fanfic from 1974, which itself was a parody of another fanfic trope, the self-insert, which is when a Bridget finds herself in the middle of Star Wars. She doesn't know how she got there. What is she going to do? Um, that, yeah, that's another one I might have written one for. Um TVTropes.org has a good breakdown of a Mary Sue and the common traits, all appropriately ending in Sue, like anti-Sue, black hole Sue, God mode Sue, sympathetic Sue, 30 Sue pileup. What's the 30 Sue pileup? I think that's when they're, like, you have clones. So I thought of um, Resident Evil, oh. and Alice has all of those clones all of, of herself. All yeah, yeah. yeah. I think that's a 30 Sue pileup. <laughs> <laughs> I love the terminology. Um, And also, to be clear, we're not talking about the Mary Sue, which is a website media thing. Different. Um, In the context of Ray's supposed Mary Sue-ness, the fans point to her skills like piloting, how quick she was picking up the force and a lightsaber as evidence. And this criticism has come up enough that Daisy Ridley, the actress again, was asked about it in an interview. And she called it sexist. Um, She said, there's no such thing as a Ryan Craig. Which, there is a Gary Stew or a Marty Sue, depending. Um, but this is derived from Mary Sue, and probably most people don't know that term. You, you might, you know Mary Sue, but you probably don't know. And I, I feel like, yeah, Mary Sue, even if you're someone who is a casual consumer of this kind of, kind of media, if I, if, even if you hadn't heard that term, if I described it, you'd be like, oh, exactly, I've seen that a million times. Gary Sue, I feel like, is much less ubiquitous. Right, and... Uh, That's kind of the point she was making. Um, It doesn't come up in interviews with male actors. Are you a Gary Stu? Um, They're not criticized in the same gendered way. Their characters are underdeveloped or poorly written. They're not Gary Stu's. And another thing is Luke from the originals did pretty much the same thing. Um, 
I've read nitpicky accounts of, yeah, but he had more time. Uh, <laughs> he trained with Yoda. But that's not really the point. We didn't um, even ask these questions about him. We didn't even ask in the before he went away to train in my favorite one, The Empire Strikes Back. He, he picked up those things pretty quick in uh, A New Hope. And we didn't ask those questions about Han either. And she's not a perfect character. And by no means should all characters be like Rey. But we need all types of good female characters as diverse as we all are. And some of us are good at a lot of stuff. And I read a, a good point, I believe it was from the Mary Sue, um, about how like we don't want all male characters to be like Captain America. You know, like Rey is one type of character. And because they're so rare, I guess we're overanalyzing everything about it. But she doesn't have to be this perfect written character, you know? Well, that's a great argument for why we need more female representation. Because if there's not that many, the one who we, the ones who we have, they're going to be picked apart. And so it's going to be, you know, are they this, are they that? And if we had more, characters could just sort of exist. And you wouldn't have to sort of be asked in every interview, you know, what about this? You know, tell me about your character. What do you think about gender? All of that. Like... Like you said earlier, it would just be something that exists and not something that has to be sort of picked apart. Even though I recognize the irony that we're doing a podcast. Yes. Basically doing that. <laughs> Me too. But whatever. <laughs> I think we're picking apart more of like the reaction. Yeah. I mean, I'm, yeah. Um, I'll also, I'll pick apart any media that I love. I'm that type of person. But I, a good exercise I found is to imagine her as a white male character and to see if you'd have the same issues cropping up with him this white male character being too good at something or too many things. Just That's a good exercise. Yeah. Is that the Annie? Did you come up with that? <laughs> I feel like probably a lot of people have had this thought, <laughs> but I, I, I did have the uh, the thought in my brain. It's yeah. like a Star Wars Bechdel test. You know, <laughs> yes. like, you feel weird, ask yourself this, <laughs> yeah. see what it tells you. The Annie test. The Annie test. We yes. should coin that. <laughs> yes. Can we make any money off of it? We're all about making the money. And as reported by the Mary Sue about this whole Mary Sue thing, a group called Down With Disney's Treatment of Franchises and Its Fanboys raised an army of bots to tank The Last Jedi's, the, uh, which is the sequel to The Force Awakens, um, Rotten Tomatoes score. Why? According to them, quote, introducing more female characters into the franchise's universe, making one of the male characters quote, a victim of anti-mansplaining movement. Oh. <laughs> and also, the two main male characters might, quote, turn gay. Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, my God. Okay. This is something that, uh, I mean, I, the the amount of vitriol I have for people that do this kind of thing is, yeah. is vast. And you see it so often. They did the same thing with Black Panther mm -hmm. where, People wanted to, or not people, I guess white men who were who were annoyed, like how dare, <laughs> yeah. how dare this one movie have black characters? Like, you know, oh God, I know the worst. <laughs> but I, I mean, this is a level of protectiveness that I think you see in a lot of sort of fan cultures where, you know, it's it's cool to have something that you like and be protective of it, but it can really easily spin out into something that's super toxic, and it's it's super toxic to have a coordinated campaign to tank the, re the reviews and the scores of this yeah. film. Like, that's, if you find yourself doing that, take a step back and look at yourself. I mean, come on. Yeah. It's not yours. That's what's always gotten to me. Like, it's not yours. It's not yours. 
It's um, everybody's. It's everybody's. And the more people I would hope and think, the more people that enjoy it, that enjoy something you like, even if it is in a different way that maybe it's not the same as yours, it, but they still like it. And can't we all share in this enjoyment of the thing and instead of trying to exclude people? Or I could do a whole spiel about fan entitlement. Um, and especially as since I am a nerd and a woman, I get asked so many times to prove, like, oh, are you really? I see you're wearing a Star Wars shirt. You like Star Wars? Yeah, so tell me where was... <laughs> what planet is Yoda from? And how old is he? <laughs> yeah. like, what? <laughs> what was the name of the production assistant and what high school did he go to in The Empire Strikes Back? Oh, you don't know? I thought you were a fan. <laughs> you're not a real fan. <laughs> that's, I mean, I, I get that, too. Like, you know, being a music fan, that's like if you're wearing, like, a, uh, you know, a shirt of any band... Dudes yeah. love to test you. But what's funny is that I guarantee that nine out of ten dudes out there, and I welcome the challenge. So if you see me <laughs> in a bar, feel free to challenge me. I know more about music than them, and I love luring them in like, oh, yeah, like ask me some questions so that I can dance circles around you with my knowledge. And I bet you do the same thing. You're like, oh, yeah, please, <laughs> please challenge me, sir, <laughs> so I can show you how much more I know about this than you <laughs> and embarrass you and make you rue the day you ever came up and talked to me. Uh, yeah, I feel like you're a, a hustler, like instead of a pool hustler, <laughs> like a trivia hustler. I, I love when you do, you win those battles and then they kind of are like, well, I, I mean, I, I I guess you know some things, but I probably know more. They just kind of walk away. I'm I like, know. <laughs> Sammy. Okay. <laughs> Okay, cool. That was a fun interaction. Yeah, that we I'm both glad you made brought it, it up. Yeah. <laughs> um, and we'll we'll come back to the Last Jedi in a second, and we'll come back to even more uh, fun, angry response to it. But um, there's another movie we need to touch on, and chronologically, Star Wars can get very confusing. And I think Bridget, you and I should have a like Star Wars night. I'm just gonna you're gonna have to let me nerd out for like 20 minutes, and then I'll I'll leave you alone. Um, but uh, so. 2015, you get The Force Awakens. 2016, you get Rogue One, which is actually a prequel to A New Hope. Anyway, um, Felicity Jones plays the main character, Jen Erso, who is tough. She's a fighter. She's a leader. And what's interesting about her is that if you look at the Star Wars films preceding hers, there's always kind of a pair thing happening. Um, but this is not really the case in Rogue One. There are pairs, but she's the main character. The story revolves around her. And um, there is kind of a romance, but I would argue it's, like, not even really a romance. Uh, it's just not the main point. And it's pretty much her story and not um, not even partner pairs like Han and Luke or Leia and Han. or Like, it was her. And that was the first time that's happened in the Star Wars universe. Um and she wears practical combat stuff, and she's very successful in combat. You keep mentioning the costuming, and I yeah. know it's a small thing, but it isn't really a small thing when you think about it. Like, when you, when you if you grow up watching movies where women fight and they're always in bikinis or, or outfits that make no sense, even that small of a detail, like the costuming, does signal we understand that, that we have been treating female characters in this weird, gross way with this weird, gross gaze, and we're yeah. stepping away from that. Like, even a small detail like that does seem to show some sort of progress. Yeah, and I will say, from a personal level, I wasn't until I got to college that I realized how much, like, seeing those images of women sexualized, but in kind of like a weird, it's okay way, because they're all so strong, had impacted me, because it still is telling you, like, ultimately... 
it's your body and your looks is where your value is. And that's why you're here. Mm -hmm. Like you might be able to do this stuff and that's cool, but it's your body. Yes. Even if you're Laura Croft and you're super talented and super, you know, tactical, you got to be wearing like a sexy outfit. Yeah. And again, I'm all about wearing a sexy outfit. Me too. But it's just like in fighting situations are all the time constant when it doesn't make sense. That's why it's refreshing to see, oh, she's in practical clothes for the situation that she is in. It always reminds me of this idea of suspension of disbelief, right? When you watch a movie, you're supposed to be sort of immersed in this world. And details like that that are like, make no sense, it's almost like a continuity issue. But it just goes to show that her looking sexy is more important than the movie making sense in a kind of way, right? Like, this would never happen in, in reality. But they, the, the filmmakers care less about that, about maintaining the integrity of the universe they've built than they do about, you know, sexy ladies. Yeah, but it also goes to show how um, commonplace it is that we don't really question it so much. Like, well, yeah, of course she's going to be in a sexy thing. She's a hot lady and she's the lady in this group. So <laughs> that's just how it goes. It, so I'm I'm glad that we're we're moving away from that. And I got to say, I love the costuming of like Jen Urso. She looks badass. Uh, <laughs> you can you can have you can look good and still be practical. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so we have even more, <laughs> even more. Um, but first, one last quick break for a word from our sponsor. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Okay. Now we arrive at 2017's The Last Jedi. And as that terrified fanboy group decried, um, this one did introduce more female characters. You've got Rose, who took no BS, Admiral Holdo, who took no BS, especially from, quote, trigger-happy flyboys. Ooh. Yeah. It brought back Leia, now a commander who takes no BS, and Rey, of course, who took no BS. Um, And that's the most in the main cast of any Star Wars film to date. I love that. So I love that they put Leia and Rey kind of in conversation. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, and um, Admiral Holdo and Leia are friends, and it was like the first female Star Wars friendship, and they just have conversations where they're both leaders trying to accomplish this thing, but they're friendly with each other, and it's wild that that is so... It's wild that that's wild. Yes, exactly. (laughs) I was watching it like, whoa, whoa. What's happening? Um, It has been called the most feminist Star Wars yet. Anna Smith of The Guardian wrote, both in terms of women and non-white characters, there's a celebratory inclusiveness that seems entirely in the Jedi spirit. Documentarian Annalise Ophelian wrote, The Last Jedi depicts women as multifaceted, multigenerational, multiracial. There are women in strong leadership leadership positions and women who occupy student learner positions. Mm. Yeah. I, so I, I love how she's broken this down because, again, it sort of reflects how women work in teams where you have, you know, that's why I think I love the fact that they brought Carrie Fisher back to, you know, be in conversation with another strong female leader. It really seems to reflect the dynamic that women have in workplaces and sort of mentorship and peers and, you know, getting along or like maybe you don't get along, but you're still you still have respect for each other. Right. Um, I I love that. It's a really multifaceted illustration of women on teams together and women leading together. Yeah, I love it too. And I hadn't really considered 
Um, I, I was telling you yesterday, Bridget, that doing the research for this episode made me appreciate this movie even more because when I first saw it, um, it's all about failure and it's a very difficult movie to watch. In my opinion, it was. And plus, Luke Skywalker, my crush. Well, anyway. Yeah, I gotta, I gotta tell y'all, I ran into Annie in the bathroom at, at that, here at the studio yesterday. Yeah. We were talking about this in the bathroom and you were like, I almost can't watch it again. I can't do it. It's tough because it's all about, it is about failure. And um, I didn't realize until I was doing this research that a lot of it is about shutting down mansplaining. Um, the fanboy group was right <laughs> about that. So much of it is like, after after me and my friends saw it, one of the characters, Poe, who's very likable, um, and that that's important is that he's likable. We all like him, but he keeps making these mistakes, and he's not listening to Leia when she gives him orders. He's not listening to Holdo when she gives him orders. He does all these things and kind of ruins everything, kind of keeps messing up plan after plan after plan. Sounds familiar. I feel it like, does, I, I, feel like I know it? some of these types. It does, but see, it's great because we like him. It's better to see it because if it's a villain, you can just dismiss it. Uh, yeah, exactly. So if he, because he's likable and you're like, he seems like a nice enough guy. Yeah. It, when there's somebody in your life who is being toxic and sexist and racist or whatever, sometimes it is, or I would say probably more often than not, it's someone who you, you know, maybe like or you you feel like, oh, he's not a bad person, not a bad guy. So it's it's good to have the character who keeps, you know, fuck up, for lack of a better word, and not listening to women, be sort of someone who seems nice enough, not like this scary, awful villain, because that that otherizes those those sentiments. Like Those are yeah. sentiments that we associate with someone who's a bad guy. I'm right. not a bad guy, therefore, right. I'm fine, you know? Yeah, and um, he, he has a character arc, and he kind of sees, I have made all of these mistakes, and now I really need to shut up and listen. Um, but after I left, like, but your mind's a buzz with what we've just seen. And my friend turned to me and <laughs> I dropped a, bu- a, a bucket of popcorn and she turned to me and she said, you really poed it up, <laughs> which is the name of the character. <laughs> and I didn't realize until we're doing this, like, oh, my gosh, mansplaining. Oh, <laughs> poeing it up. Um, as you can imagine, there was so much fanboy backlash. Tweets like the movie was garbage. They are making movies now for feminists in mainland China. <laughs> the rest of us don't matter, I guess, four exclamation points. <laughs> or too much comedy and social justice warrior references, especially by Vice Admiral Purple Hair on the resistance, in quotes. Ca- in all caps and quotes. Yes. First of all, if you're trying to emphasize a word in a tweet, you don't need both. You can do yeah. quotes or you can do all caps. You do not need both. That's, yeah. that's egregious. Yeah, now I'm like questioning what if this is a joke tweet. I don't Oh, no. I mean, look at it. I mean, that's yeah. really... <laughs> <laughs> it's too much. It's too much. It was clearly aimed at at real Donald Trump and his supporters. Thanks for ruining the Star Wars franchise, Disney. And has anyone noticed that the new Star Wars series is all feminist propaganda? Oh, my God. First of all, I love this idea that feminists are this underground yeah. sleeper cell network that's just- very powerful and that we're churning out propaganda to make more feminists and like we have yeah. secret meetings underground with, with Disney. Of, with Disney. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I love this reality where we have all this power I and that, you know, you know, we have that we have a you know a bug in the ear of big time executives at Disney. Yeah. I, I wish that was the case. Or maybe it is the case. Let's not say too much. Yeah. Yeah. I don't wanna I don't wanna Don't give too much away, Bridget. Yeah. <laughs> um 
And this is something I did want to note is, um, and most likely unnecessarily, but in all cases, you cannot like the movie. Um, There are problems with all of them, legitimate critiques. I had problems with um, most of them and especially some of the new ones. But we're looking here specifically at people who found the problem with it because it was feminist or because they were looking at the female characters in this way that we do not look at male characters or judging them through that way. Totally cool to not like a movie for like legitimate non non uh, sexist reasons. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that's an important point to make because I don't think anyone is saying you have to like this movie, but not liking it be- specifically because it has too many women is really yeah. You know. Yeah, and again, like going back to that Mary Sue argument, if you're saying you think the character of Ray is underdeveloped or poorly written. That's, or shoehorned in or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's different than she's a Mary Sue and I a man would never. <laughs> oh, I did read. Oh, wait, I have it right here. Here's a quote. Here's a quote from American Greatness. <clears throat> For Ray to truly struggle to encounter an internal crisis that would develop her as a character would be to make her vulnerable and thus more of a woman, but less of a feminist hero. So screenwriter and director Ryan Johnson purged her of weakness and dependency. And the filmmaker's desire to paint her as a feminist badass and girl power boss bitch who can take care of herself, thank you very much, Johnson leaves us with a lonely and utterly rootless woman crammed into a hyper-masculine role. This portrayal doesn't work because men and women are not interchangeable. Neither are the masculine and feminine hero myths. The feminist effort to shove Ray into the masculine journey results in an an essentially transgendered, unnatural, and corrupt character. But beyond her inauthenticity as a masculine hero, Ray's perfection and her cross-dressing deprive the film of another crucial element, a romance. Wow. I could have quoted that whole argument. There was so much there that I was reading like, he cannot be serious. He's totally serious. I was laughing aloud at some of it because I thought, no way could someone write this seriously. Yeah, I mean, that's a re- that's the most intense thing I've ever read. <laughs> it, I mean, Star Wars brings out the intensity. But uh, that's essentially what I'm saying. If you if you got problems with it because you think it's poorly written, okay. But if you got problems with it because of something like this... That you think that, you know, she's a... I mean, he just, he describes her as transgendered. He says essentially transgendered. Yeah. That's... A wild thing to say. That is that is such a wild thing to say. And he even points out her um, her clothes. I don't know if it was in that quote, but he does. He pointed it out. He says, "Yeah, he says that her quote cross dressing deprived oh. the film of romance." Like I just think that even the language that he uses to break this up down is almost. I almost find it shocking. Yeah, I really want to know what woman hurt this guy. Like yeah. what? What strong feminist character? Yeah, who who wasn't vulnerable enough. Who was dressed like a man hurt this guy. I don't know, Bridget. We'll never know. Um, uh, Holdo was a, she was a character. She's played by Laura Dern. I love Laura Dern. I do too. Oh my goodness. Um, And she had purple hair and jewelry and kind of a nice dress. And she drew a lot of criticism. And I think the reason a lot of the fanboys really had a problem with her was because she was feminized, but also because she kind of came in and then told Poe that, the male character that's pretty likable. I'm in. I'm in charge now, and you're gonna do what I say. And nobody, none of these 
angry fanboys liked that. I also think it's interesting, going back to one of the angry fanboy tweets that you shared earlier in the episode, that he specifically says, oh, with her purple hair. Yeah. I wonder. I almost wonder if it's something about her presentation, because when you, when, as someone who has been screamed at by white dudes on the internet for being a, quote, social justice warrior or a feminist or whatever, yeah. um, they definitely do have a uh, stereotype of, you know, oh, you're a shrill, angry feminist, purple hair, you know, septum yeah. piercing, you know, you dress a certain way. And I right. almost wonder if because she has purple hair and wears jewelry, if that that sort of, there's a connection there where the kind of dudes who shout at feminists on Twitter are like, oh, you and your purple hair and, and jewelry and nose piercing. Yeah. They see that and they're like, oh, it's that girl <laughs> from Twitter and now she's lecturing me about mansplaining and telling this guy what to do. Yeah. My worst nightmare realized on screen. It's happening now. It's playing out before my very eyes. Um, I, I read from uh, Laura Dern. She kind of discussed this because it was a, a pretty visceral backlash. Um, from a small, like, it's actually a very small contingent. They just have a loud voice, as I'm sure you're familiar with. But she she spoke to that, and she said it was very important to her and also the director and screenwriter, Ryan Johnson, that she be not, I mean, necessarily feminized, but that she be kind of there's feminine hints to her costume, that she had purple hair, that she had jewelry, she had a well-fitting dress. She Like we kind of discussed in the Final Girl episode, there was this need to make the Final Girl more masculine, but they they made a deliberate choice here She's feminine. She's a good leader. Yeah. She's strong. In this episode, we've talked a lot about costuming choices and how it is cool in movies when women are dressed appropriately for what they're doing. So if they're in battle, you know, they're wearing clothes that make sense that you would actually wear into battle. But mm-hmm. I also think it's cool to have female characters who are strong and leaders who dress feminine. I don't know. I just think that there's not, you can be a strong leader and still wear jewelry and get your hair dyed and enjoy makeup or wear heels or whatever. I think that yeah. that's sort of my... my larger point that our media should be representative of all of that. So whether yeah. you're, you know, Laura Dern and you're in the salon every two weeks to get your roots done because yeah. you have purple hair and you, it's important to you, or you're Ray who just wears your hair pulled back and you don't have time for that nonsense, both of those are, are strong women leaders and both both of those should be represented. Right. And I think one of the key points, too, is that um, people just dismissed her, even um, dismissed Holdo. Even Poe, the character, he sees her and he's like, that's Admiral Holdo? And it says it kind of derisively. So just to see someone, in this case a woman, dressed a certain way and that's it. Like, I'm not going to take orders from you or I think this character is a lesbian or, you know, just to write someone off immediately or to put these whatever you think that means, how they're dressing on them immediately. I think that was a good... Um, it was a, I like that they made this decision to do that purposefully for her. And it's, it, it goes back to the context thing too, right? Cause Ray is surviving in the desert. So she's going to have to like be in a tunic and <laughs> pretty much a tunic, which uh, I did read was slightly, it had a belt to accentuate her waist. Ooh, a belted tunic. That yeah. actually sounds quite nice. It sounds comfortable, yeah. right? I'm like, why don't you get a, <laughs> rock a belted tunic? <laughs> if I see you walking around the office with a belted tunic, I'm going to go get one, too. I'm just saying. <laughs> I'm going to hop on the train, but I need someone else to take the first yeah, step. Yes, the first, you know, I'll be the Rosa Parks of belted tunics. Perfect. <laughs> Perfect. Um, yeah, so, like we said, uh, Poe dismisses her. Uh, it, but if you look 
at Leia, um, Leia too. She she's somebody who's lost most of her family at this point, in, in one way or another, um, and she's still being a strong leader and a mentor. Um, and if you're looking for a good female villain, you have Captain Phasma, who menaces Hollywood studios and Disney World right now. Um, Ray, you've got her, of course. She grows more powerful and takes on Kylo Ren in a fight scene that felt never felt um, man versus woman, but instead powerful character versus powerful character. Um, and most of the heroic things done in this movie are done by women, from the self-sacrifice in the very beginning to Ray lifting hella rocks with her mind at the end. Um, by and large, women hold the most powerful positions, ones that they earned. Leia might have been born a princess, but she worked her way up to the command rank. And I love a comparison I found between Holdo and Leia. Calm, collected, reasoned. And two of the male characters, Kylo Ren and General Hux, who don't have one scene together where they aren't fighting. Um, as the author suggests, it could be because both are occupying a position neither earned, yet they both feel deserve more. Ooh, yeah. that's taut. <laughs> yeah, I like that a lot. I was like, oh, yeah. Um, and that's a, another funny thing um, about this is a couple of people mentioned that uh, Adam Driver plays Kylo Ren. And he has a shirtless scene in this movie, and it's very surprising. Like, you Ooh. do not see it coming, or at least I did. I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> and he, he's ripped, but there's no—it was like kind of like a— Usually women are getting that. Yeah, was he was he chained to, uh, <laughs> was he in a bikini <laughs> and, like, chained to someone? No, no, but uh, it was a— A girl can dream. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's still one more left, Bridget. Um, ooh, and when Ray turns down Kylo Ren's offer to rule the galaxy together, he becomes very angry and violent. And I bet that sounds familiar to a lot of us um, who have turned down a dude. Oh, a dude who seems fine, later revealing himself to be toxic and violent? Yeah. You don't say. <laughs> Never heard of that before. So, yeah, The Last Jedi was a... I, I, I should watch it again. I should get over my uh, hang-up about it. Well, we're doing our Star Wars movie night. Yeah, we are. We are. It's going to be so fun. I mean, it's going to be fun for me. I hope, I, I hope it'll be fun for you. No, I'm sure it will be. I'm sure it will be. <laughs> if, we, if we're looking at the future, and there's a long Star Wars future ahead of us, um, if you want to find some Star Wars happiness and signs of why this whole thing matters, why do we have a whole episode about Star Wars, uh, you can look up Hashtag Star Wars rep matters. Um, and I got to say, like I said, the research on all of this helps me appreciate the importance of it even more. It's easy to kind of just dismiss things as media, but you forget when you're, especially when you're a child, that seeing those things is important and it does matter. Um, so I'm, I'm happy that they're moving. They're moving forward. They're progressing. Well, I'm happy they're progressing, too, because one of my favorite actors slash musicians is going to be a young Lando Calrissian, Donald Glover, who I love. Yes. Uh, and I'm again, I'm happy that this representation does not just count for women, that it's also for race. It's, ni it's nice to see folks of all colors and genders represented. And when they announced that Donald Glover was going to be in Solo coming out May 25th, I was super stoked. Yeah, me too. I was so excited. Um, and... Uh... It has two, I am assuming, pretty lead-type female roles, both from HBO, 
Amelia Clark and uh, Thandi Newton. Um, and uh, the last Jedi I get, Rose was the first um, Asian American lead in Star Wars ever. Wow. Yeah. So definitely it's good to move forward um, with representing all, all people, all of us. Well, the, the counter argument that I think is so funny about that, when people get bent out of shape of, you know, people of color being in these movies and they're like, oh, well, there weren't Asian women and black people and blah, blah, blah. It's like, it's, first of all, it's fantasy. It's <laughs> yeah, not real. Come on. <laughs> and second of all, it's like they have, like, aliens. aliens. Why is it that, you know, your mind can expand to include, like, oh, yeah, there's aliens, there's robots, there's yeah. this, there's that. But Asian women, no, no, no. my <laughs> mind cannot fathom that. <laughs> There's no space. And money-wise, the Star Wars sequels, now with more ladies, are they're doing just fine. They're not going away. If we look at data from Box Office Mojo from 2006 to 2015, um, and if we look at the money made by movies with a female lead versus a male lead and Nothing else, like cutting out ensembles or robot, alien, not human leads. The data shows that domestically in the U.S., female-led movies made on average $121.6 million as compared to $80.6 million a year um, made by movies with male leads. So that's a pretty, that's a pretty sizable uh, profit margin chunk right there. Yeah, so these films are making money. yeah. And um, I, I forgot to mention this fact at the top, but uh, I do want to bring it up. Is In the first, the original trilogy, there were four female roles in all three of them. And Princess Leia's one. The other three each had less than a minute of screen time. Logistically, it seems difficult to believe, but damn. Yeah, yeah. So now... We have four women in lead roles in The Last Jedi, so I'm... I'm very... I mean, that just goes to show how far we've come. Yeah. And that, that, I mean, that is something. It is. So things are improving slowly but surely, and here's hoping on this, this Star Wars day, that it continues. Um, a good next step that I saw from a lot of people would be a female director, or one of color, or both. Um, and that David would... DuVernay? Yes! Oh, I got so excited. Yes, that would be a Star Wars first. So I think that would be great, get, getting more women or people of color or all of the above in writing, the writing process, too. Just, yeah, it's a, it should be an inclusive universe because, yeah, it's got the aliens and it's this whole wide galaxy, galaxy, galaxy. I mean, it's a galaxy far, far away. It is. But yet, I think we can, I think we can attain it here. Oh, that's beautiful, Annie. Thank you. I got to see these movies. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to do, like, the the craziest movie night. It's going to be excellent. I literally can't wait. Awesome. Well, thank you for indulging me, Bridget, and listeners. Um, and happy May the 4th. If you've got Star Wars stories, oh, if you've done any kind of Star Wars crafting or art or fan fiction, please send them to us. You can find us on Twitter at MomStuffPodcast and Instagram at StuffMomNeverToldYou. And our email is MomStuff at HowStuffWorks.com. May the force be with you, Annie. And you too, Bridget. Bridget.